Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. Sometimes life can get busy. Sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where our life seems to be defined for us, that we just simply have so many things that we are obligated to do or that we have to do, that we just do those things and we never really stop and think about what our life is really about, what our life is really for. I mean, what are we really hoping to accomplish in our life? What do we really expect to get out of this life? What what are we doing here? I mean, why are we living at all? It seems in some cases as if we just simply live in order to do all of the things that we have to do. And every once in a while, we get to do something that we want to do. But even that seems to be relatively short-lived, and whatever we start doing turns out to be left alone, and we never seem to complete it. What is our life really for? What is our life really about? And on occasion, people come to a point in their life, in their busy lives, when they are able to sit down and even ask themselves this question of what are they doing here? What, what are we really doing here? Why are we here? What is our life supposed to be like? What do we want our life to look like? On occasion, I sit down and I consider what my life will be like 10 years from now or 20 years from now, and I try to write out a description of what I would like to be doing and what I would hope to be doing and the kinds of accomplishments I would like to have between now and then. So when I reach those dates, when I reach that time period, I can look back and see something in my life and say, you see, I've got something to show for all of the effort that I put into just simply existing, if anything. But on occasion, people do ask this kind of a question. They ask themselves, why am I here? Or what do I hope to get out of this life? What am I doing and for what purpose? In general, when people ask this question and they consider the results of this question, the results normally come down to one simple thing, and that is what are they going to get out of this world that they are a part of? That normally becomes the definition of what their life is about, that their life is about trying to get something, trying to gain something from this world. And they will measure their success by the things that they are able to acquire from this world. And I don't mean this just in the sense of some tangible set of items, not some list of things that they can store in their house or in their storage facilities. It's not normally just about that. It's also about the kinds of things that they can do or the kinds of places that they can visit. It's also about their activity, but their activity normally is focused on the world, where they can go, what they can do in order to participate in the kinds of activities that are available in the world that they are a part of. That tends to be the focus that people have. Now, unfortunately, it's very unusual for someone to be able to do all of the things that they would like to do. It's very difficult for people to acquire all of the things that they would like to acquire in the world. And eventually, a person will come to the point where they're going to realize that they just have to be satisfied with what they are able to acquire and be thankful for what they have. 
But what happens with religion, what happens with religion is that there is a new opportunity for many people to acquire things that they would not be able to acquire otherwise. You see, when people engage the world and they engage their life, they're normally trying to just get whatever they can, whatever they want from the world. They're wanting to do all kinds of things as much as they can do that they would like to do. But when they discover that they just can't do it all, they can't do it on their own, then they look for divine intervention to help them fulfill their dreams, to help them obtain those things that they want. And religion is an opportunity to pursue these things, because in many cases, people advertise God in that way. They advertise him in the context of don't worry about all those things you have lost or all of those things that you're never going to be able to get, because God will intervene in a divine way in your life and he will compensate you for the things that you have lost or he will give you those things that you wanted, but you could never obtain. And so when people hear messages like this, then their focus generally changes from what they could get from the world to now a life of what can they get from God. That's what normally happens. And in this program, I want to talk about this from the point of view of what are you going to do in your life and how are you going to live? How are you going to live your life? If I asked you the question of how are you going to live your life, How would you answer it? And in many cases, when I talk with religious people, their answer will sound something like, I will live my life trying to get things from God. That is going to be the focus of it. So what do you do in order to get things from God? Or at least what do people say that you need to do? Or what should you do in order to get things from the Lord? Well, you can just look into the scriptures and you can see, according to the law, that if you obey his commandments, then he will give you whatever your heart desires, whatever you want. And he defined those things that he would be willing to give you. If you were to go into the law and see the descriptions of the blessings that he was offering the nation of Israel, then you can see that he will offer you all of the things that the world will provide. All of the food that you can eat, you will be able to go to exotic places, You will have freedom and liberty and not be oppressed in war. You will not be a slave. You will have the opportunity to eat from vineyards that you did not plant and drink from wells that you did not dig. You will have lots of milk and honey, that kind of stuff. That tends to be the focus that people have in the religious context, which really is not very different from a worldly context. The only difference is is that you're asking for divine intervention to help you live your life in a similar way than if you were living in the world without your God. But when we look into the law in this context, we discover that there is a condition for him to bless you in these ways. And that condition is that you have to be obedient to all of his commandments. So if a person decides to really pursue this theology, this belief, if a person decides to truly be sincere and committed to the law of God with the expectation that they will be blessed in return, then what kind of a life are they going to live? What is their life going to look like then? You see the kinds of transitions that a person can go through? First, you start living your life doing nothing more than trying to indulge your flesh in the world. 
And then, because you cannot obtain everything you want in the world, you look to the Lord for divine intervention so that he will perhaps allow you to obtain some of the things you couldn't obtain on your own. And then you find yourself living a life of obedience to the law. That tends to be your life, trying to get him to respond, to give you the kinds of things that you want so that you can live your life in the way that you would like to live it. So what happens then? What happens then is that a person gets buried under the law. They are trying to live a life under the law, and they discover eventually, depending upon how sincere they are or how committed they are to this task, they will eventually discover that they can't do it. They will discover that they cannot live in obedience as God required. And so how do they deal with that? Well, sometimes people come up with different theologies, such as, Well, if you can do it in a partial way, then God will bless you in a partial way, stuff like that. But that is totally outside of the scriptures. That has nothing to do with what the Lord said concerning this subject. What he said concerning this subject is that you have to obey all, and then he will bless you. And if you do not obey all, then he will not bless you. Now, when a person discovers that they cannot live in obedience to all of the commandments, well, then there are new things that we can talk about from that point. The most important thing that we can begin to address is the subject of righteousness. And that is to say that you will not be righteous because of your obedience to the law. And the reason why is because you're never going to obey all of the law. You're never going to be able to do that. Now, in some ways, you could then look at the law as a standard of righteousness. And because no one can ever obtain complete perfection with regards to the demands of the law, then we can say that they will never be righteous. And that is one way of effectively using the commandments of God. I use it in that way quite often. But when we look at it from that point of view, then there's something else that we can do, and that is we can say that this describes the righteousness of God. But I think we have to be very careful about talking about the righteousness of God in terms of the law. Because in one sense, we can say that it shows us that we are not righteous. But unfortunately, what people tend to do is they tend to say that it will also show you how you can become righteous. What happens is that people will then look at the Lord. We will look at the Lord, his life here on earth when he came here and he lived among us as a man, as the Lord Jesus. He lived in obedience to the law. And sometimes we say that because Jesus lived in obedience to the totality of the law, that means he is righteous. Sometimes we have a tendency to do that. And I think we should be very careful with that. Because if we do that, then what happens is that we can say that the law defines righteousness. And I don't believe that that is the correct way to view the law. I don't believe that that is why he gave the law. I don't think that he gave the law so that he could define righteousness. Instead, I believe that he gave the law to define unrighteousness. And that's not the same thing. Let me describe it this way. Let's say that you found a way, miraculously, you found a way to live in total obedience to all of the commandments that God has ever given. Let's assume that you were able to do that. Now, let me ask you something. What do you really hope to gain from that? I mean, what do you really hope to get out of being able to be obedient to all 
of his commandments. Now, I'm not wanting to ridicule that, and I think that it would be a wonderful thing. Don't get me wrong. Unfortunately, I don't think people really take this question very seriously, and I want you to take it seriously right now from this point of view. And that is that if you were to go before God, if you were to go before him after you physically die, and you were to say to him, listen, I know that I was fully obedient to all of the commandments of God. In fact, I believe that you could go and talk with your angels and check all your records and you will find that I never sinned. And so because of that, I believe that I am righteous. If this situation was to ever occur, I personally would not be surprised if God was not impressed. I wouldn't be surprised. If he said something like this, something like, you know, it's nice that you obeyed all of the commandments, and it's nice to know that you never sinned, but I'm still not going to allow you to enter into my kingdom. I used that as a way of showing people that they could not ever enter in, but I never gave it to show them how they could enter in. I personally would not be surprised about that at all. The reason why is because... The reason why people will not enter into the kingdom of heaven is not because of their failure to be obedient. It's not going to be because of their sin. It's going to be because they are spiritually dead. That's why they are not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That that is the real issue. But unfortunately, people can get so preoccupied. They can be so preoccupied with the issues of obedience and repentance that they can forget the real issue. And the real issue, of course, is that mankind, everyone, is born into this world spiritually dead and they need to be resurrected. So again, the law was not given to define righteousness. It was given to define unrighteousness. That's what it was given for. Now, in an abstract way, yes, we can know the righteousness of God in some ways, through the law, but not to the extent where a person can declare themselves to be righteous if they were to live in obedience to the totality of the law. I do not believe that he gave it for that purpose. Now, the reason why I'm saying this is because I want you to understand that the law is still no way to live. First of all, because you are never going to be able to obtain the blessings that you probably think you're going to get from the law. But aside from that, even if you could do it, it is still no way to live. Because all you're going to be able to accomplish, for the most part, is the absence of sin. Maybe the presence of some good works, but predominantly, it will be the absence of sin. So how impressive is that really going to be in terms of a life that a person lives? That they never sin and that on occasion they do some good works. Is that really meaningful? Do you really believe that that has substantial meaning to it? I don't. I don't believe that that is even a way to live. You know, the Sadducees looked at it from that point of view. The Sadducees believed that the law of God was a perfect way to live, and even though they didn't really believe In God, for the most part, they didn't really believe in him, not like the Pharisees did, even though the Pharisees were wrong as well. But even so, the Sadducees lived according to the law because they thought it was a good way of living. Living our life in the world is no good. Living our life in religion is no good. And living our life according to the law is no life either. That's no life at all. There is something else, just like I said, 
that a person is not going to get into heaven because of their repentance and obedience, even if they succeed, because there is another issue. There is the spiritual death issue. Just like there is another issue, there is also another way to live. Just as there is another issue beyond repentance and obedience when it comes to salvation, there is another way of living between now and the day that you approach the living God in his kingdom. There is another way of life, a life that is completely separated from the law. The righteousness of God was revealed by the law in some ways, but not completely. Some aspects, yes, but the really important ones, the true reality of his righteousness is not revealed there. The true reality of his righteousness is defined by trusting and believing in him, that that is the kind of righteousness that he is truly interested in. For example, many people are focused on the fact that Adam and Eve pursued a life of the knowledge of good and evil, but they neglect the fact that the reason why they did that was because they did not trust their God and they did not believe in him. And when it is revealed that they cannot live according to the knowledge of good and evil, that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is supposed to be where they reach the point of discovering that, yes, God can be trusted. Yes, he can be believed in. When Abraham was declared righteous, it wasn't because of his repentance. It wasn't because of his obedience. He was declared to be righteous because he believed his God, because he trusted his God. It has always been this way. His righteousness has always been revealed through trust and belief in him, that he is trustworthy and you can believe him. That is his definition of righteousness. And these other things related to obedience and repentance and law are merely transition points. They are merely tools in order to move us through this issue of the knowledge of good and evil and how do we live and all those kinds of things to transition us through those things to get us to the point of realizing that, yes, we can trust him. He is trustworthy and he is believable that that is the true righteousness that he seeks for us to have. He wants us to believe him. He wants us to trust him. And if we will, then we will be righteous. We will be right before him because that is what he seeks. He does not seek activity or inactivity in your flesh. He is not concerned about your flesh. Your flesh is here now, but it will be gone tomorrow. It came from the dust, and to dust it will return. It is not eternal in nature. Yes, it can be very problematic while it's here, but it is not going to be here forever. It is the eternal aspect of your spirit, your mind, your will. It is your belief. It is who you are deep inside that will remain throughout eternity that he is concerned with. This is the issue that he is concerned with because there is more to life than just living now. You're going to live on. Now we are living, yes, but there is more. There is life beyond this life. And there is not as much of a disconnect as you might think when you consider the life that he has truly called us to, which is a life of trusting and believing in him. You trust and believe in him now. You trust and believe in him tomorrow. And in eternity, you trust and you believe in him. 
This is the foundation for the righteousness of God. In Romans chapter 1 verse 17, it is written, For in it, referring to the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. When he speaks of the gospel and the righteousness of God being revealed in it, he is making a clear distinction between the good news of the Lord Jesus and the law of Moses, the commandments of God. He's making a clear distinction between the two. That the righteousness of God, the true righteousness of God, is not really revealed in the law. The absence of it is revealed, but the presence of it, not really, not so much. I mean, in some ways, yes. In some small ways, you can see the righteousness of God. But in comparison with the gospel, there is such a magnitude of difference that it is as if the righteousness of God is not revealed in the law. In the gospel, it is all about belief and trust and reliance. That is what the gospel addresses. You must believe and trust that he has forgiven you of your sins and receive the free gift that he is offering, believing that he will give it to you as he has promised. And through that, you can be saved. And through that, what is revealed? Your God is revealed. His righteousness, yes, but there is more that he is going to reveal to you than just the fact that he is righteous and what righteousness is truly about. Your God is revealed. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, yes. But when you live your life according to the gospel, when you live your life according to what he has given to you, not a life of trying to obtain things you don't have, but a life of resting and being thankful for what you do have, for what he has given to you, then the revelation is a revelation of your God, not just his righteousness, but of him as a person. And how do we receive that? How do we enter into it? It's very simple. He reveals the truth to you, and you respond to that truth. When it comes to the gospel, he reveals the truth to you that you have no hope outside of his mercy, and you respond to that. You acknowledge that, and you turn to him with the attitude and recognition that you have no hope outside of his mercy. And you believe what he has said concerning this, that he is merciful, that he has been merciful, and that you are the recipient of his mercy. So you respond to that truth, and you no longer live in fear or in shame, but you live on the basis of, yes, he is merciful to me. And I will now live acknowledging that he has already been merciful. You start with small things like that and you continue. He will reveal another truth to you. He will show you that he was merciful to you so that he can be with you. If he is with you, then you now live your life with him with you. You engage the world with him with you. You are not alone. How many decisions do people make because they feel as though they are alone? Many decisions, and some of them are pretty lousy decisions. But if you will acknowledge and trust and rely and believe in the truth that you are not alone, that he is with you, it will totally change the way that you live. It will change the way that you live because you will be living with him, not with what you hope to gain from the world through your own successes or accomplishments 
or what you hope to obtain from God because of your obedience has nothing to do with that, but that you can live responding to the truth in the world and engage the world, live your life on a daily basis being thankful for what you have as opposed to living for what you hope you might one day obtain. Now, this is the beginning of faith, and I personally believe that this is a reasonable description of faith and how a person will live by faith and not by the law or their flesh, either one. That living by faith is something entirely different. It is a different way of life. It is not living according to your flesh, and it is not living according to the law. It is living according to the truth that has been revealed, and it is living on the basis of what he has given to you as a result of his death and as a result of his life. It is a completely different way of life, and it is a life of responding to the truth and the reality that you now live in, of the truth that he has revealed, the reality of it, and the recognition that your God is in you, he is with you, and he meets the deepest needs that you have in your being. That is living by faith. Otherwise, what do you hope to get out of the world? I mean, what are you really thinking? Why are you really living in the way that you are? What do you really hope to gain by it? What is it going to do for you? When you look back on your life just before you die, what are you going to see? Are you going to see the collection of things that you were able to acquire? Are you going to see all the good works that you think you did? What is it going to look like? I know what my life is going to look like. My life is going to be a reflection of an individual who lived being thankful for what God had given to him. Or at least that is my expectation of what I will see. Because that is what I do every day. Every day, every day I refocus my attention on what's important. And to me, what is important is our God and what he has given to us. And our maturity in Christ, our maturity in our relationship with him, I sincerely believe can be described and can be measured by our discovery of what we now have because of what he has done and what he has given, of what we now have and our application in our daily lives of what we have. You know, there's a big difference between living a life hoping to get something from the world and living a life going into the world to give to the world what has been given to you in abundance. There is a big difference between the two, and I believe that that difference can be described as the difference between living by law or living by the flesh and living by faith. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net that you may